Good morning. It's Wednesday, which means it's C-Click Fix Radio Day. That means we're going to get to the latest news. Now, if you listen to some other news outlets, you might be under the misimpression that the big news is that some doofus former Alaska governor is endorsing some doofus bankrupt businessman for president. But here on WNHH, we're going to talk about the real news. For instance, that the Q bus is not running till midnight in New Haven, and there's some talk about changing that. That some elevators are not working at, believe it or not, the Strauss-Adler building. Or that in Houston, the new mayor has launched a pothole blitz. And in Macon County, Georgia, overgrowth is blocking traffic, sad but true, while mattresses and yard waste are awaiting overdue pickups. We know this and more because we're going to the source of real news in our communities across the country, the C-Click-Fix problem-solving website. C-Click Fixes Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz are here with me in the studio today to give us the rundown. And we're going to speak with two C-Click Fix mavens who work for the government of Macon-Bibb County, Georgia. They are Chris Floor, assistant to the county manager for public affairs, and customer service specialist Denise Mercer. They're going to be on the line. We should also mention that today's program was made possible in part thanks to the support, financial support of Yale New Haven Hospital. Now on to the news. Caroline, what are the latest headlines from Macon-Bibb, Georgia? So what's wild about Macon-Bibb County right now on Fix is that just in the past hour, over 40 issues have been reported. About 40 citizens have gone onto the web in the last hour in Macon-Bibb, Georgia. Either gone onto the web or called in to Denise, who is on the line now. Through Fix. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, two-thirds are calls for recycling bins, and the rest are either illegal dumping issues or right-of-way issues. What are some of those illegal dumping issues and right-of-way issues? That Let's see. Notice there was something about overgrowth mm-hmm. at a right-of-way. So about five minutes ago, there's a PNB cut right-of-way issue reported at Riverview Road and Audubon Circle. And the description is, a massive bush is blocking the view of traffic on the corner of Riverview and Audubon. It looks like a weeping willow, but it is a very large bush. Huh. Now I wonder why so many people, I guess we're going to find out about this soon, within one hour would be saying, I want recycling business. Something prop people do that. I mean, they're not doing that at three in the morning. They're not doing it at three in the afternoon. Why are they doing that at nine and 10 in the morning? I'd love to hear what Chris and Denise said. Okay. So now what are some of the other things we're hearing? I noticed there's a Confederate drive in Macon. Did you see that? One of these, uh, one of these complaints came from Confederate drive. Hmm. Let's see. Well, I am seeing another cut of right of way issue on Stone Edge Road at Trowbridge Lane. Um, cut the right way at the intersection of Stone Edge and Traverse Lane. Overgrowth is growing out into the street and blocking the intersection in view of oncoming traffic, especially on the Stone Edge side. Um, oh. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to hear Chris and Denise talk a little bit about particularly the recycling issues as well as this cut right away issue as well. So what are some of the people saying about recycling? Is it just this, is it just a form? Do people just say, please send me a recycling bin? Or are people saying on any of the listings you have, um, I've been trying for three weeks. Do you have any particular person you could read from? Yeah, sure. So it looks like it's it, it runs the gauntlet. For example, one said that, you know, I noticed that one of my trash carts is now missing. I guess someone stole it. Please bring me another. Um, another is um, about a caller who's requesting a 64-gallon roll-off recycling cart. Um, so it le- looks like either they've been stolen or somehow their garbage was missed in some way or they're just requesting a bin because they never had one. Hmm. Okay. 
Well, so I guess you have, you, you're going to the source of this on the line now in Make and Bib, right? You said you're going to mm-hmm. tell some people who have been using C-Click Fix in Macon, Bibb County, Georgia. Officials who read what people are posting there, they get back to them about how things are going. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so, Chris, I would love if you could talk a little bit about this recycling um, rollout program. Happy to, because uh, one of the things that we did, we consolidated as a government two years ago, and part of that consolidation was uh, recreating a brand new government. We're both a city and a county government, and we made the very conscious decision in, at senior level to say, see, click, fix is going to be our direct service interaction with the public, and we're trying to find as many ways as possible to um, raise awareness of C-Click Fix, its usage, and getting people to use it more and more to call into customer service because it provides that public tracking of information. It also allows us to create a centralized database of people's issues. Um, so when we got to this part about having new garbage cans come in that we ordered a couple months ago, as well as new recycling bins, we said, let's use C-Click Fix for people to request these new cans. That way people know how to do it. They can, you know, at home at 8 o'clock at night, they could request a recycling bin, and we know where they are. And then our solid waste department can then uh, map out how to best deliver them out. Um, What we did in January 4th is we started a new service delivery. We have a private company doing our daily uh, solid waste pickup, and the county government will be doing the recycling. So it's expanding the program recycling countywide. Uh, In the former two governments, it was not that large. Um, but we wanted everyone to have that opportunity. So we purchased 1,700 recycling cans to kick the program off. And we hoped we hoped we would have 1,700 passed out by the end of the fiscal year. Um, we had about 600 requests in the first month and a half. As soon as those recycling cans hit the streets, as soon as the media started covering it more heavily, we, we've been ramping up our communications. Um, we had 1,200 requests for those recycling cans through C-Click Fix in the first week of January. Wow. So it, it, this was this has probably been our largest rollout in use of C-Click Fix in the four years that we've had it. Um, we've had some pretty big rollouts as far as other departments. We've seen the spikes when we've added new departments. We have 70-plus services you can request currently uh, from our government. Um, but the recycling has been our biggest success story. It, it's so successful that uh, I told you we wanted to get rid of all 1,700 in six, or six to seven months. We're out mm. after two months. Does someone have to recycle? So we had to go back to commission and approve a budget request, and we're ordering 3,400 3, more. So we've got a success problem. The success is that our community wants to recycle, and they're using C-Click Fix to request it. Uh, the problem is, is we're currently out and have to wait a couple weeks for the new order to come in. <laughs> so does is it is it mandatory to recycle and make a bib? Uh, no, it is not. Uh, our solid waste director implemented the state's first mandatory recycling program in another city, um, but we're not at a place we have – we have forty to 50,000 um, residential customers. Um, we don't have the budget to order 40,000 recycling bins. So we're doing a voluntary rollout. The idea was we didn't want to pick Street A versus Street B to get the recycling cans, because what if Street B was your recycling community and Street A was not? Then it would look like the program was not successful because no one was recycling. So we've gone with a voluntary request. Again, the reason you see Click Fix was if you want to recycle, this is how you request it. And it's been hugely successful. We want people to voluntarily sign up for it right now so that we can get the recycling cans first to people that are going to actively use it. Hey, Chris, this is Ben. I, I had a question for you. Um, in New Haven, one of the things we've been aspiring to, to make better is the commercial recycling plan, um, which the mm-hmm. city is not currently responsible for. Do you have any insight around that? How are you handling commercial properties um, and recycling in, in Macon currently or 
thinking about it in the future? The commercial properties run through private agreements with a private company, or they work. Uh, we have a few churches and businesses that work with us, um, but the commercial properties really are a one-on-one contract with a with a private collection service. Okay, so that's similar to what it's, we have. What here. we're talking about here is residential service. So commercial is mandatory. No, that's it, that is depends on what service that commercial property or business would set up with their uh, contractor. Right. Okay, that's similar to New Haven. It's it's amazing yeah. what you all have pulled off on on the residential side. Kudos. Absolutely. Again, we're, we, you know, this is we're a new government. This is a new service, and so our our first piece was let's be successful with a low hanging fruit. We do residential. We can do residential. We can get into residential. Let's show the success, and if we're successful at that level, then we can start promoting it outwards. We're really kind of starting from scratch here. That's interesting about low hanging fruit because we have it was mandatory in New Haven. You had some neighbors that didn't recycle much, and some that didn't. I'm wondering about the economics of this, Chris. Do you lose money when people recycle? You say you didn't have enough budget for this. If your low-hanging fruit starts recycling, because I know the market shift has been a lot written that for a while municipals, municipalities were in the black with their recycling plans because when you resell it, what you're recycling, you make enough money back, and at other times the market changes. What is the market like now, and how does that affect your plans? What our solid waste director has been telling us is right now the recycling market is flat. There's, there's not much money to be made in it. Um, but, you know, it fluctuates. But even even with the market, now, we don't personally recycle. We collect the recycling and take it to a to a recycling a private recycling plant. Um, we are developing plans to create our own distribution center to help get things out of our landfill, but that's years down the road. Um, but even with the market being flat, diverting the recyclables out of our landfill helps save us money because we have to close our landfill, so we have to find ways to reduce the amount of uh, material going into it. So even if the market is flat for the cost of, uh, for the, the payout of recycling, it's still helping our bottom line by, by diverting things out of the landfill. So if C-Click-Fix gets you lots of customers to have the bins over time, that's going to save you money? Absolutely. And, and it will extend the life of our landfill, allowing us to put money into closing it. Um, absolutely, yes. And do you feel like the kind of people who would go on C-Click-Fix 40 in an hour to ask for bins are the kind of people who are more likely to recycle? Like, is a C-Click Fix customer more likely a recycling citizen? Yes, I think they will recycle more. In fact, we have um, requests already, and we're saying it's going to be a couple of weeks out before we can get the bins, and they're saying, oh, I don't mind waiting. I'll be glad to. Just Mm -hmm. Just put me in and so I can get my recycling card. That's Denise Meyer from the Macon Bibb County. I think one thing that fascinates me about this is that, you know, owning a recycling bin can seem like kind of a small issue, but clearly the numbers that you guys are telling us show that it definitely matters. And I'm curious, what what do you think is powerful about having and owning a recycling bin on an individual level? And also, how is it part of a broader strategy for you guys in terms of beautification and green living in, in Macon Bibb County? A lot, we have a lot of, we've had a lot of issues with our landfill over the past six or seven years. Uh, passing inspections, we've got a landfill that is under federal order to close down when it reaches capacity. Um, we've had to realign all of our services because we did consolidate, and so it's our belief that if we're all one government, one community, then everyone should pay the same for the same services. The recycling, the, the recycling delivery, the collection, the re-delivery of solid waste services, everything we implemented on January 4th, 
solves a lot of that because it, with a private company collecting the solid waste, it's going to their landfill, not our landfill. Recycling is keeping things out of the landfill. And our internal department that used to do trash pickup and now is just doing the recycling and the bulky yard waste, that frees them up to do some of the beautification efforts. It allows them to go out and have more resources and trucks available for illegal dumping, for example. And we had a second hour. We were going to be asking them about this overgrowth, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So shifting gears slightly, it looks like some of the issues that are popping up about are about right-of-way issues. And you had, we had talked earlier about those particularly happening in the summer. We'd love for you to speak a little to those as well. Actually, um, they are summer issues. And as the weather changes and there's growth and new life, uh, we have to maintain those areas because they can obstruct signs. Um, pedestrians have a problem walking on the sidewalks. So we make sure that we try to maintain the right-of-ways, the medians, as a safety measure as well, and beautification. So how, what is the status of this latest uh, news report of the, of the um, Caroline? What do we have? Yeah, the, the one that happened at Riverview Road um, about the massive bush at Riverview and Audubon. Denise. Okay, let me pull that one up. Denise Riverview and Chris. And, and Denise, Audubon. I got I got your name wrong. I'm sorry, Denise. It's Denise Richards, isn't it? I apologize for that. Yeah, Denise Mercer. Mercer. Oh, it is Denise Mercer. Oop, I was being corrected here. Sorry about that. So you are Denise Mercer. Okay. Um, Caroline, apology. do you have a work order you're looking at? Let's see. About Audubon. And this was the case where they say it looked like a weeping willow. You were reading it, but... Uh... Mm -hmm. Well, here's another one that's at Stone Edge Road. Um, the issue ID is 19495166. And what did the person write in, Caroline? It looks like they wrote in, uh, cut the right of way at the intersection of Stone Edge and Trowbridge Lane. Overgrowth is growing out into the street and blocking the intersection in view of oncoming traffic, especially on the Stone Edge side. And, and when was that written? And that was written on the 10th. And the 10th, so that was a week ago, a little more. And what has happened since, according to C-Click Fix? According to C-Click Fix, customer service of Macon Bibb County assigned the issue to one Derek Pitts. And then I, Denise Knighton, who's a verified official at Macon Bibb County, uh, said thank you on behalf of the Parks and Beautification Department. Um, and then a Randall Hunt said cut row. Um, and so it looks like. And what then the issue mean? is now closed. I'm not sure. Well, the issue is closed. Mm -hmm. So, Denise, does that mean you guys got rid of it? That certainly means that they went out there, they resolved the issue, and they documented. And how much of this are you doing, Denise? Well, they documented. Does that mean they they cut it back? Um, normally, most departments provide a little more detail. Um, <laughs> they usually say um, the thing they would do is like, um, Worker 502 went out, cut back trim limbs, cut back right away, removed debris. Mm -hmm. Okay. And well, we've asked them to provide as much detail as possible when they're closing the work order. But sometimes that takes a little work. Well, you should see what our police department goes through when they're trying to get the uh, police reports written to make sense. But, I think uh, this, is, this is actually a good point. We should jump, <laughs> we should jump in on here. I mean, um, that education that Denise is doing from customer service with uh, the different departments as to how to best engage 
Um, the residents provide information is really important. And we actually find that that subtle difference there where they're really providing the um, details of how they resolve the problem are really valuable to residents and help provide insight into the public space management process that we might not otherwise have. And mm -hmm. so that I really, I think this is one of the reasons why Denise has been so successful in making. And mm -hmm. I, I would I would 100% support that as well as, as well as the rest of the the two other um, customer service reps that we have working on this. You know, if any city is looking at finding a a technology method by which to solve their issues, mm -hmm. I want everyone to realize that it's not the technology is the tool, but a tool has to be used properly. And so, if anyone wants a tool, they still got to have a team or a person behind who understand how to use it and use it well. If we just put someone in there who was clicking close on it and the people didn't get the details on how it was closed, it wouldn't be as effective. And so I think I know a lot of our success has been because our customer service team goes through and tries to make sure that all the information is in there as much as possible. They work with the individual representatives in the departments that have access to register the tickets and close them and helps just as follow-up training and saying, you could have done this way better. Um, can you make sure you put information in? Because we're always trying to get better with it uh, to provide them better information to people. You're listening to C-Click Fix Radio on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We're talking to C we're talking C-Click Fix Radio news today with Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz of C-Click Fix. Chris Floor and Denise Mercer, I'm going to ask you to hold on to the line from hold on the line from Macon Big County, Georgia. Because we're going to move to some other cities, some other C-Click Fix cities, see what people are talking about. Some of the stuff's the same. And then we're going to ask you and Macon Bib what those issues look like to you and how they're different or the same down south. Ben Berkowitz, what are the latest headlines in New Haven from C-Click Fix? Absolutely. So uh, let's start with a busing issue. Can the Q bus run till midnight or at least later than 645 from downtown? So this is a common issue in New Haven, right? Uh, we... We're starting to see more folks uh, uh, all over the city ride, riding the buses. The bus usage is going up. Uh, but there's questions about the hours and the frequency of those buses. Uh, and so... So uh, when was that posted, Ben? So that was posted uh, on uh, January 5th of this mm -hmm. year. Um, and it has been viewed 364 364 times. times. People about right. this one bus line. That's right. Now, this bus line starts in the... Um, McGonaghy Terrace projects on um that's a, that's the one of the non rebuilt housing projects in Upper Westville, and then it comes through Upper Westville, the Beverly Hills neighborhood. Then it goes down Fountain Street. It goes through the Westville Flats from Fountain Street, and then it goes along Edgewood Avenue. And you, I ride this bus, and you notice how it has all the different walks of life in New Haven by the time it gets downtown. Then it goes into Fairhaven, down to State Street, James Street, and then back up Lombard. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of our central central arteries. But it almost never runs. City. And what's hilarious is that on the weekend, it could take hours between a scheduled bus ride, even during the day. And when I bring this up to state transportation officials, because, I mean, I think it's the given. Everyone agrees. Even the state officials will agree when you really sit on them that our bus system's broken. The routes are geared to a different time and era when people work different kind of hours, different kind of jobs. You have to spend hours if you want to get to a job in the nearby suburbs. And we have a downtown now in New Haven where people do stuff at night or people work jobs past 6.30. You can't get a Q bus past 6.45. And even if you want to get the B an hour or two away, sometimes those are hard to get. And the Q bus thing I never understood in particular because that's a real kind of dense neighborhood ride. Mm. And um, 
And people say, well, why don't people ride it? Because you can't count on it to get back and forth. So 300 people plus wrote back. What did they write, Ben? Yeah, so uh, a number of people wholeheartedly supporting it, uh, quote unquote. Uh, then we have this user, uh, Kevin, who's saying, I have nothing to do with Connecticut transit policy, but I very much That's suspect. That's who runs the bus, Connecticut transit. That's right. And we'll hear from them in a second, but uh, or at least we'll see a comment from them in a second. But he says, I very much suspect the answer is no, we cannot do this. So uh, he, he gives us some insight as to why buses on the current schedule come nowhere near paying the operating costs, primarily the driver's wages and benefits. The last time I spoke with Connecticut transit staff a few months ago, they stated that the fare box covers less than 30%, 30% of operating costs and none of the purchase price of the buses or other capital costs. Pretty much every mode of transportation, with the exception of walking, is subsidized. I was about to say that. I mean, mm. We subsidize cars. We do these, these billion-dollar highway improvements. That's right. And you could argue that walking is subsidized by the paving of our sidewalks, but yeah, maybe an extreme. <laughs> but, also, but also with the bus, I mean, you get environmental costs. You get efficiency costs. I mean... And you don't have to pay for the, you know, the parking that's otherwise subsidized and people are driving to work. So that, that's, uh, that's, uh, his well, what is some objective other people statement. Write? He does have a, uh, an opinion as well, which he adds at the end, which I think is, uh, interesting, which he says, but the state legislator and Congress are allergic to raising gas taxes or coming up with alternative ways of paying transportation, transportation, especially systems. now the bus, the, the price of gas is plummeting. It's going to $2 now a gallon. It might right. go to one governor. Malloy doing his bold transportation plan is wants to pay for it in part through a gas tax increase, but he wants to tiptoe. He wants to go two cents a rise in that gas tax a year for six or seven years. I don't understand why if, if gas is going one or two dollars down a gallon, we can't have a twenty five cent mm -hmm. gas tax increase to pay for some of this stuff. But what are some what are some other people saying, Ben? Because well, that's well, a so, lot of so, people. Yeah, absolutely. And and then uh, Connecticut Transit, who's a verified official on the site. Uh, so they're monitoring what people are saying. Now, absolutely. mostly people say they would ride it. Did people tell any stories about wishing they could, but they couldn't? Because I could tell you at night, I've been downtown at night at 7, 7.30. I've walked home a couple of miles, you know, two, three miles in the cold at night in the dark because that bus doesn't run. I have as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So we have Margaret Mead, a uh, registered user. Here's another note for the impact on business in New Haven. We were just discussing whether to join the YMCA downtown in New Haven. So we have a new YMCA here uh, right downtown. Street. Yep. Uh, but the bus room bus route came up as a factor. Since it doesn't run that late, and one can often end up working late, you have to come home and then get in your car and go out to the gym and the burbs. Not sure what we'll end up doing, but the bus route came up as a factor in the decision about whether to use NHV as a business. Wow. So now what is a CT Transit is an official agency does read, see, click, fix. What did they write in? So they just they made a quick comment that this will be continued uh, considered at our next service review meeting. So I guess we could ask a you know ask for a follow up there in the comments. And they, obviously the biggest thing is that the city with state money is doing a study of mass transit, including buses, about how to redo the routes. And they, within a year, they're going to have a recommendation to the state about redoing those routes. But it's also how often, because the B bus does get a lot of traffic, and I ride a lot of ridership. I ride that one, and sometimes they have to not stop because it's so full. Right. I mean, right. it's just it's just a broken system. You know, it's interesting. We have Chris and Denise from Macon. Now they don't handle bus uh, bus lines in their responsibilities, but bus uh, is the really the only public transit uh, in Macon as well. And I'm I don't know Denise or Chris if you have any comments. Uh, thoughts about um, bus ridership there, or if you notice any trends that might be insightful? Just that we know our transit authority is constantly looking at improving service. That's their mantra, is getting better service. Um, we're trying to work with them on how to expand their lines. Uh, we recently applied for a federal 
uh, grant that no one in Georgia got. We missed out on it to create a new bus line system along our big downtown economic revitalization effort called the Second Street Corridor. Uh, we want to put an electric bus line that will connect the different sides of our city, our residential Denise Macon, our residents downtown, our medical center area, our downtown businesses, our colleges, uh, a dedicated electric bus line that can move people back and forth. What is um, an electric, biggest, Chris, what is an electric bus line? Uh, as opposed to using a gas or a CNG bus, they pull into a, they pull into a stop and it recharges their batteries right there. It's much more environmentally friendly. Um, it's a little more, it's a bit more expensive than a regular bus, but because you're not paying for gas or fuel, um, over, over the life of the bus, it more than pays for itself. Now, Chris, I heard you um, we're, talking. We're trying to create the bus line, but do it with a environmentally friendly bus. The whole idea of the Second Street Corridor <laughs> is to create a walkable, bikeable corridor for people. And so our idea is if you're going to encourage people to walk through this area of shops and restaurants and lost living, you don't want to diesel fuel bus spewing up fumes as you're walking your child in a stroller. So, Chris, so we, we're exploring the electric bus line. Now, you're talking about you're trying to get approval for more bus service in general. Whom are you asking? So you're a combined city and county. I found that very interesting because in our part of the mm -hmm. country, we got rid of county governments in Connecticut. We have all these smaller municipalities. There's a feeling that we don't handle problems enough regionally. It sounds like you guys did that when you combined city and county and making bib. But who's in charge of the bus service? Whom do you have to convince to have more bus service? We have a separate transit authority that we provide funding to. And so we work with them, and they, they actually determine their bus lines and routes and times like that. Um, but we've got them on board with this specific bus line that is tied in with our economic development project, our revitalization project. Um, so when you apply for certain federal grants, sometimes they ask for, how is this going to impact your community? And so they're definitely on board with us applying for grants for them to implement this. Now, Chris, can um, so you it, bike? It's, it's how we work with our agencies, and we have a great relationship with them. Right now, Chris, is it easy to bike to work, especially if you work on unpredictable hours, get home, from get to work and get home in a reasonable schedule on your bus service there? And can you go out at night in the downtown and go home on the bus? Can you count on that? I would say you'd have you'd have some people that find it easy and some people that find it hard. Uh, I know one of our concerns that we have that we hear regularly is there's no Sunday service. Mm -hmm. Why is there no Sunday right. service? That's probably the, that's probably the consistent uh, concern. There's no Sunday service. Uh, but as far as the ease of getting from point A to point B around your work schedule, that depends on where you live and your schedule. Now, uh, Ben, you know in New Haven, our primary hub for MTA is downtown. Mm -hmm. That's similar. To it, it's at the base of Cherry Street, which is one of our main streets downtown. It's our, our historic terminal station. Um, so getting downtown, if you live close to a bus line, is easy because everything flows through downtown. And, and Chris, um, is that a terminal? We transit service that runs till 11 p.m. at night. Uh, that's oh. <laughs> it, Chris, is that is that like a, a sheltered area de dedicated explicitly to buses? Yeah, the, the terminal station is the old train station downtown. It no uh -huh. longer serves a train. Uh, so in the mid to long range future we'd love to have it happen again but there is a there is a covered terminal down there that people can get in and out of the bus it's a, it's interesting in new haven it's a that's a rider friendly terminal right got it well you know in new haven that's been one of the aspirations i think for a lot of people is to get a central terminal because what we have right now is while we have a hub and spoke system we don't have a central terminal we we leverage the downtown green 
uh, which is not necessarily convenient for riders or for non-riders. And there's talk about putting it next to the train station, but also there's also talk of not having such a big hub and spoke system right? because the routes are weird. But another issue in New Haven, I don't know what it's like in Macon County where your big employers are. Yale is our biggest employer, and they have a privatized bus system. Unlike, say, Cornell and Ithaca where they give just passes, they buy passes for all the students and professors to ride the public bus, Yale has a privatized system that doesn't go everywhere. So a lot of Yale people live in Westville, but there is not a Yale shuttle to Westville. They don't have the privatized bus service. So if you're white or if you're a person of color and you have a Yale ID, they let you ride the Yale bus private shuttle through downtown East Rock, and you could do it anytime, day and night in Dwight, which is a fundamental problem for people who aren't white and not affiliated with Yale. And if you don't live in those particular neighborhoods, and Yale's basically bleeding our public system dry because so many people go through it. And then they're not even, so one answer has been, question you suggested, why don't they expand the Yale shuttle to other parts of town and stop being racist? Or why don't they um, have Yale do the same thing Cornell does in Ithaca? This is something Justin Ellicker suggested when he ran for mayor, which was to have them pay for their professors and students and staffers to use the public buses. But we had other news, didn't we, in New Haven? Yeah, ben? absolutely. So uh, this is this is becoming a fan favorite here at the New Haven Independent. I think uh, starts out pretty uh, pretty gentle. Private property issue. <laughs> what date was this posted? Ah, this was posted on uh, January nineteenth of okay. this year, and uh, the readers could probably guess which private property this is at this point. Uh, oh, okay, okay. I'm getting seventy-eight hit. Olive Street, New Haven, oh, Connecticut. Okay, okay. <clears throat> right around the corner from here. Uh, both of the elevators in the Strauss-Adler smoothie, air quotes, building are now broken. There are at least two elderly residents who cannot climb stairs to get to their apartments. The main elevator has been broke for months with no evidence of any effort or repair. Now, the secondary elevator is broken with no repair crew in sight, becoming more and more typical of this building. Um, so the 19th, let's see, today's the 20th. So this is posted yesterday. That's right. So what happened today? Anything more on this? Uh, a neighbor has commented that the building elevators are constantly breaking down. It's because of the sloppy work done by Schindler workers. I don't know what that is. Uh, it seems the state inspectors are also sloppy and don't care. Who holds the contract with the elevator company that does not work on your building? Uh, if the elevator company is not keeping up their end. Uh, and so we have concerns. I actually commented on this when I went to a party at the Smoothie Building on Friday night. Uh, and we found ourselves lost in the building for 15 minutes trying to navigate around the first broken elevator. At that time, the second elevator was working. Wow. So any official comments back on this? Uh, no official comments uh, back yet. I was wondering that building lately, too, because it's been the news. I noticed mm. the ceilings falling apart and everything. Now, um, for, for Chris and Denise, just to bring you up to speed, I don't know if you're experiencing this, too. New Haven is experiencing a revival in housing, especially in the center city. And we're fixing up old factories and other underused properties and changing them into residential. The smoothie building where we used to make undergarments in the 1800s, early 1900s, was the first wave of this before the market got hot. So they, not as much money was invested. And they did a pretty lousy job of, of fixing up that building, even though they're charging high rents. And recently, our city inspectors went in around Christmas time and said, even though you got approval to do this 14 years ago, this place is so shoddy that from the start, you didn't even have some of the basic five, five eight inch sheetrock um, put in your corridor, corridors and some other parts of the building. It's supposed to be fire safety. And there's a big fight going on about how much should be invested there. And as you heard today, now the, the, the um, elevators aren't working. Do you have similar problems in Macon County, Bibb, Macon Bibb County? 
with buildings that are being changed to residential, is that going on where you are with the change from an industrial economy? And are you having problems keeping up with conditions there? Um, we are seeing a lot of loft development in our downtown area. It's, it's, it's pretty significant. Uh, one of our private-public partnership organizations uh, did a study a couple years ago that we could add 200 residential units in our urban core a year and just to keep up with demand. Um, so you're seeing a lot of this development go on. Um, as far as the issue that you stick for that one, I don't think we've had anything that extreme. We've had some great groups working people through the process, and we've been very supportive of making sure that you know, all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted and we're putting and we're living up to the code. Um, but taking the broader piece, we are seeing a similarity of the code enforcement in our residential neighborhoods. Uh, blight is a big issue here in Macon Bibb County. Uh, a lot of people want to find ways to attack blight. Uh, in the old government's code enforcement, the way it operated, if an inspector went out to, say, a residential property and there was a violation, you got a summons to court, and then the court would decide, the judge would decide whether or not you got a fine or not. And that process could take months. And so if someone called in and said, hey, I'll pick a simple code enforcement issue, something that's really, you know, something simple. Let's say overgrown grass. I called in on, let's say I called in and said, Denise Mercer is my neighbor and her grass is overgrown. I want someone to cite her for that. It's been this way for months. The inspector would go out. They wouldn't be able to cite her. They would summon her to court. Um, and then it was up to the judge to decide if there was a fine. So you're talking months. So you could have weeks and months after I reported it and see no action. Um, back this summer, we did two things about the same time. We changed the code to where our, our inspectors could actually cite a property owner and write a ticket that they have to pay. So, and then we also rolled out C-Click Fix as having code enforcement issues. And so we put some teeth into our inspectors, gave them teeth but with a law that allows them to cite people directly people report things, and we could respond and say what that reporting is, because even if you cite them, it still could be a couple weeks before you saw any action, because that person could appeal to the court. Um, so we're trying to attack blight through code enforcement and giving them uh, more authority. Hey, we did that in New Haven, where now our anti-blight agency does do these $99 a day fines. When did you combine city and county? Uh, we consolidated the... The, our, our, uh, the voters of Macon Bibb County approved it on end of July in 2012, and our we came into existence on January 1st, 2014. So we're just a little more than two years into this uh, into this government. And Denise, were you really the neighbor who had the overgrown problem that uh, that Chris was complaining about? <laughs> She's glaring at me, but no, she was not. No, I was, <laughs> but I have neighbors. <laughs> one thing but I uh... one of the best things about even with. The availability of secret fix, there is anonymity. So mm. even if you want to report your neighbor, and you can, and they'll never be the wiser. Hey Denise, I, so that's that's an excellent point. I was also curious about the accountability on the other side. I, I know, um, I remember first seeing this up in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, the code enforcement agent up there would let landlords know that they could actually create watch areas on C-Click Fix to receive alerts when their neighbors were reporting on them in advance of the code enforcement folks going out uh, so that they could avoid the fine, clean up the property, and save the government time on the inspection side. And I, I, I think that Burlington was kind of on the leading edge of this, but I was curious if um, that seemed like that could be a potential opportunity in Macon or if you've had conversations about that. Actually, there has been one documented incident where a neighbor reported a neighbor, and he saw it on Secret Fix. 
So what he did, like you said, was he went out, had his grass cut, he called the um, code enforcement office and said, See, I've been, I see I've been reported. I want you to know that the grass is cut. What can I do at this point to mm. make sure there's not a case? So an inspector just went out and talked to him and explained the process, and it was over before it was actually, you know, yeah, that's within awesome. a week. You're listening to we, also use, we actually use a wash area for our downtown area, too. Um, we, have a, we have a Main Street program. It's called the Main Street Making Program, and it's someone who is an advocate for downtown residents, businesses, and programs. They put on a parade. They help do business openings, et cetera, et cetera. He has set up a watch area for all of downtown, so he's aware of every issue that gets reported downtown. You're listening to C-Click Fix Radio on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Caroline Smith from C-Click Fix, I noticed that you have some headlines from Houston, Texas. What is the latest news in C- in Houston, Texas? Absolutely. So, you know, I know Houston is a behemoth of a city, but it still astounds me how many issues have been reported just within the last hour. And in particular, a lot of them seem to be pothole requests, which makes a lot of sense because the the mayor, Sylvester Turner, has recently announced um, at the top of 2016 this massive pothole blitz. Um, and part of the campaign is to be able to um, uh, fix the pothole within one day, within 24 hours, which is crazy. And we have some super interesting stats on how they've been doing. So on average, Houston's through one is now receiving 100 pothole reports per day. Is that through C-Click Fix? Uh, not all of those are through C-Click Fix. So, for example, within between January 4th and January 11th, they received 550 pothole requests, and 222 of those were through C-Click wow. Fix. So now are they every day uh, putting 100, fixing 100 potholes a day? Uh, well, they're fixing, over the course of one week, they fixed 96% of those wow. potholes. Wow. They're really getting it done. I wonder if they do that kind of patch job we do in New Haven early, right in the middle of the winter or if they do the stuff we do in the summer more permanently. I don't know, but I do know that the mayor has actually been fixing those potholes himself. Really? He goes out and, mm-hmm. uh, oh, that's kind of fun. So tell me about a story about a particular pothole or something someone's writing, like sure. in the last hour. Tell me where there's a pothole and what response they got. Let's see. So about an hour ago, it looks like a pothole was requested at 556 Benmar Drive in Houston. Uh, next to the C-O-H manhole cover. And it was acknowledged um, uh, minutes later by the city of Houston. So the mayor is moving out. He's running out of his meeting with the head of the bank. <laughs> and he's going, he's got his shovel, and he's got his tar, and he's going there. Yeah, and I think what, what, what interests me about this is that, I mean, it takes so much to get, like, 10 people to go bowling, let alone hundreds of people to report potholes. And I think this brings me back to Macon Bib, which is, it's still crazy to me that hundreds of people are reporting and requesting for recycling bins. And I think my question for for Chris and for Denise is, what was the promotion and communication strategy around that? Um, how did you get so many people to be so responsive and to want to uh, report and qu- request a recycling bin or just or just anything around C-Click Fix? Uh, government communication. Overall, it's repetition. You know, we didn't do a press release four years ago when the city first rolled up C-Click Fix and let it sit up there. We try to find every opportunity to get the information out there. 
Um, we use new departments coming online as an announcement. Uh, we use things like this very highly visible recycling rollout as a way to do it. Anytime that we've had been featured on the Secret Fix blog, we promote it that way. It's repetition over and over again. We've identified some key communicators who have had success with the program, people sharing it through social media and the success they've had with their issues. Um, it just it happens over and over again. You've got to keep pushing it that that's the way to do it. Um, and you've got to have the people behind it who are supporting it. And one of the great supporters are the various neighborhood watch groups in the city. Um, we go to neighborhood watch meetings on a monthly basis. We educate people on the usage of secret pigs using their tablets, iPhones, Androids, and um, even set up a laptop computer there. And so the neighborhoods are really supportive because um, they just want to know what's going on in their area. They like to see results. You know, I reported this hot on on Secret Fix, and guess what? They've already fixed it. Um, I was looking at one of our pothole issues, and this was presented on January 15th. At 4.45, the pothole was reported. The director of the department was notified at 4.47. It was assigned to work at 5.11 and the issue was resolved at 5.28 p.m. So you had same-day service, too, in making bib? Definitely. Now, are you out there? Is it your mayor, or is it you, Denise, who goes out there and stops everything you're doing with the tar and the shovel? Actually, we delegate. (laughs) You delegate. (laughs) Now, do you have a lot of potholes? I mean, you don't have the snow we have, right? But how bad is your pothole problem? Um... I don't think it's really bad. Um, some old roads are old, and um, since we're now consolidated with county, some of the roads are um, kind of half and half, like half dirt roads, half paved roads. Oh, okay. So we've seen an increase in potholes, but um, we're still working to resolve them as quickly as possible. Well, if you one, one of the things that public we that we constantly educate the public on, you know, we educate the public on how to use Seclair Fix, but we also like to educate them on how services are provided. Pothole is a very generic term, but to city services, there are different kinds of potholes. If we get a pothole request for a certain P for a certain road, our department is going to go out there and evaluate the pothole because it's not as simple as sometimes filling it in with concrete. If there is a if there's a uh, water issue that has led to a washout underneath, then we've got to get the water authority involved to come fix it out. There are sinkholes, which are larger than potholes, that have other issues. And so people will report potholes, but we have to figure out what the solution is. Well, when you figure it out, and if you have some of that extra time, we could use you to make a few breaks from your meetings, come up to New Haven. we got a surplus of potholes. We usually will help filling them in, okay? <laughs> Well, well, listen, I want to thank Denise Mercer and Chris Floor from Macon, Bibb County, Georgia, for being with us on WNHH today at Seacliffics Radio. Good luck with that city-county consolidation. Good luck with getting that bus service going, all electric, tuned up. That sounds groovy. And on your code enforcement down there. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you. And I want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks to Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz, my co-anchors here at Seacliffix Radio. Thanks to Yale New Haven Hospital for providing financial support for today's program. And thanks, as always, to the producer of today's program, WNHH Station Manager Lucy Gelman. 
We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing Eliyahu Hanavi from the group's 2002 CD, This is the Afro-Semitic Experience. This is Paul Bass wishing you a day filled with crazy clicks, far-out flicks, and deep data dives of transcendental revelation. Cozy up with us here all day and night at WNHH New Haven's home for community radio for more talk and music. Music.